I'm Donna. And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Episode 114. Okay, right off the bat, I have three things I want to recommend. Oh, God. (laughs) I know. Donna's getting serious about this pandemic, you know, as we're coming out of it. (laughs) She's finally got, look, I've got all the things to watch and listen to. I know, I know. I don't know. Apparently, during the pandemic, I have really caught up on TV and have upped my alcohol tolerance because I'm not quite as uh, loopy after my first, you know, couple of sips. All right, starting out with, I think, my favorite, and it was a recommendation by Crate Mom, and it's called Everything's Gonna Be Okay, and it's on Freeform. It's a cute little show. It's about, I don't even know, it's about family dynamics. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I've been wanting to see this show where they get, like, adopted by, like, their brother or something. And yes. one of them has autism spectrum yes. disorder. Yes. I've been wanting to watch that. Yes. And it is fantastic. Like, it's so good. It's silly, but sincere and... I didn't know about it since it was on Freeform, like, if it would be, like, too, like, kitty or anything. Mm-hmm. No, it was it was so good. Mm, okay. So, definitely worth the watch. And it got renewed for a second season. I just found out. Second one was recommended by Tiffany. And it's on Amazon Prime. And it's called Upload. And it was amazing. And all of these I binged. Like, I did not have a break. Upload is like when you die, you can either like die or you can be uploaded if you can afford it, whatever. And you can still have contact virtually with your family and you're like in a virtual sanctuary-ish thing. And there's like a murder mystery going on, a love thing going on, and it's really funny. It takes a hard topic like death and it makes it light and I don't know. And it's interesting to think of could that technology ever happen? I mean, not to that extent, but also, I don't know. Okay, third thing. This one is on Hulu. God, I am just like... All the platforms. Equal opportunity platformer. (laughs) (laughs) This one is more sappy and emotional so next (laughs) (laughs) whatever but it's called normal people and it takes place in ireland so accents uh, yes please and it's based on a book i can't remember the author and it sounds like oh my god this has so been overdone but how they did it was so raw and real and i don't know Where I'm at in my life, it really just, like, hit me, you know? But it's like the tried and true thing where a popular guy and a loner girl, they have a thing, but, like, no one can know about it. Mm -hmm. But it's a different dynamic also with that between them. But then it goes through years with them. And so it's kind of like the notebook in that way of, like, their epic love, but then shit gets in the way and then all this other stuff but it was good it's 12 episodes so it's pretty in pink meets the notebook 
Even though you've never seen Pretty in Pink, just shake your head yes. Okay. I've seen it. Question mark. No, I've seen it. I just probably fell asleep while watching it. Speaking of Ireland, we have Patreoners. And I believe one of them's from there. That's right. Gareth L. from Ireland. I also have Josie H. from Virginia. Michael W. from Liverpool. Marky J. from California. Felicia M. from New York. And Kelly W. from also New York. Are y'all neighbors? <laughs> Do y'all know each other? Are y'all best friends? <laughs> Do y'all live down the street? Oh. <laughs> Thank y'all all so much for joining. We hope that you enjoyed the bonus content. And if you want the bonus content or a shout out on an episode, head on over patreon.com slash the APC podcast. One more thing. Speaking of like at the APC podcast, we finally posted our first TikTok and it is Bo. And I'm so excited <laughs> because baby Bo has almost a thousand views. Yes. So if y'all are, you know, fans of TikToking your life away like we are, follow us at the APC podcast. I mean, we only have the one TikTok right now, but uh, we're working on it. We're working on um, them. We have a lot of ideas. And can someone give us the CliffsNote version of how to make one that doesn't start with a black screen? <laughs> and how do you s- stitch all those fucking videos together? Oh, my gosh. I said, uh, I don't know. It's got a black screen. <laughs> I've already shared it to the group, but I can't. Okay. Can't undo. Yeah. Uh, but, like, how people, like, have themselves, like, like doing different things and, like, stitching it. I don't fucking understand that. Okay. Enough of all that chit-chat. Tell me a story. Well, after this quarantine is over and I have binged all the shit and everyone else has, because, you know, they've listened to me and they've watched all the good good, I figure that people are going to want to travel and just get the hell out of their house. So today we are going to talk about a place that you can go, and it's in Savannah, Georgia, What we're talking about is actually a restaurant and a bed and breakfast kind of inn. And yeah, it's haunted. So a little history first. After the American Revolution, General James Oglethorpe mm -hmm, and some other peeps. (laughs) Sorry, other peeps, but you know. At all. (laughs) They came over on a ship, landed on a bluff on the Savannah River, And so he named the 13th and final American colony Georgia after England's King George II. And Savannah was the first city after the Savannah River. Clever. Sidebar, there's a Savannah, Tennessee that I have some family in. And every time I say they're from Savannah, Tennessee, people are like, you mean Georgia? I'm like, (laughs) no, I mean Tennessee. That's funny. I didn't know there. Well, it's itty bitty bitty. And also, it's known as America's first planned city. I didn't know that, but it's because they laid it out in grids and did it on paper, really plotted it out before they just, like, put shit places and was like, it'll work. Yeah. So, it was set up in squares, and 22 of the original 24 squares still exist today. Damn. Well, Savannah was a small village with a few hundred buildings lining dirt roads. 
Horse and wagons were popular, and even though Savannah was small, the residents were still pretty well off financially. 1790 Restaurant and Inn is what we're talking about, and it's one of Savannah's oldest restaurants and inns. Wait, is it a restaurant and an inn? I know, I can't. Say it more times than you already did? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. It's located at 306 East President Street, and it's located in the Historic District because, you know, duh, it's historical. It was originally three separate residences. The western part of the building was a duplex that was built between 1821 and 1823 by Steele White. That was his name. Who was a planner from Virginia. He wanted to build it to be a boarding house. However, he died in a riding accident before it was finished. But later on, it was finished and it was turned from a house into a hotel. Then the Powers family built the smaller eastern section in 1888. And then there's this basement part and it's thought to date back to like a previous structure that was destroyed in 1820. And the date of that previous structure is, you guessed it, 1790. So, 1790. Oh, I thought that was the street name. Street number. Oh. Oh, that would be smart. Well, because, like, I used to live in an apartment that was literally 7575, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Because that was its street address. Yeah. Well, when I was looking through stuff, a lot of people were like, why isn't it called 1820? Because it was like, that's when it was established, the restaurant and inn and all of that. Mm-hmm. And it was like, well, 1820 was not a good year for Savannah. And they had a terrible fire, which is what mm-hmm. is thought to have messed up the previous structure here. And then there was a yellow fever epidemic and it killed a tenth of the population. And sometimes that meant it wiped out an entire family lines. So, 1820, so 200 years later. What the fuck? Carrie, my mind just had that emoji, like the mind blown. Damn. They say the Atlantic uh, hurricanes are going to be worse this year, too. They had really bad hurricanes after their shit. Dude, that's crazy. Mm -hmm. Synchronicity. So, people love the old world charm of it, and visitors can still see original wood shingles in the attic and wooden pegs and wedges holding the beams in place all throughout the building. The restaurant and tavern, they're both located in the basement, and the hotel are on the upper floors. The inn has 14 rooms, and they are all waiting for reservations to be made. But there may be ghost, I mean guest, already there. Oh my God, did you write that I did, I did. (laughs) It's so bad. So corny. So bad. But clever, but corny. Bad. (laughs) (laughs) The most notorious guest resides in room 204, and it's thought to be a spirit of a woman. There's different names, either Anna Powers or Ann Powell, but the inn's site just says Anna, so that's what we're going to go with. 
According to local lore, Anna and her father rented rooms to sailors and other people who were visiting in the area, and this is sometime in the early 1800s. Anna met a sailor, and it was kind of love at first sight. She fell in love with him, and she was supposedly 16 at this time, which isn't uncommon, you know, like yeah. for her to be young, him to be older, like have a job and all of that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's 1800s. Right. And another thing that's not uncommon for back then, she was in an arranged marriage. She's like already promised to someone. Yeah. Not the sailor. Mm Mm-hmm. But she couldn't help what her heart wanted, and it wanted the sailor and not who her family wanted her to love. So she was in it to win it with the sailor, but he was only in it to win it while he was in town. Oh. Yeah. The original fuckboy. Uh-huh. So the story goes that she was on the balcony of her room, and just as the sails of his ship left her sight, she threw herself over the balcony rails and landed on the brick courtyard below. Mm. Another thing said that she was pushed and it was by her angry husband to be because he was like, no bitch. And also if you're thinking like he's in an arranged marriage, he's probably got some money and stuff. And it's like, no, no, no. Like I want you, you're going to be mine. Mm -hmm. Like you're my property kind of thing. Anyway. So they're saying it was either, She died by suicide or it was murder. But both stories end up with her from the balcony to the brick courtyard below. So the inn keeps a couple of journals in each room so the guests can record their experiences. And there's common stuff like sounds of shattering glass in the middle of the night, unexplained noises in the hallways, Cold spots throughout the room. There's movement on the bed and shaking of the bed. And also people see shadowy figures lurking near the bathroom and at the end of the bed. There was this one entry where a man said that he felt something plop onto the bed in the middle of the night, woke him up, and he like wrote in his entry that he was sure that the inn had installed some kind of device to scare the guests because it was so realistic. Mm-hmm. And he, like, obviously wasn't a believer, you know, which the innkeeper was like, no, we didn't do that. But I just thought that was funny because that would be Carrie. Like, felt something, but it wasn't real. Yeah. They must have one of those old motel bed chickens. <laughs> I didn't even have to put in 50 cents. <laughs> Let's stay there. Right? I mean, that was my literally my first thought when you said the bed shakes. I was like, oh. Another thing that people who stay in room 204 usually say women tend to be more targeted and jewelry or clothing will be mysteriously moved or misplaced. And some have been nudged off the bed. Some have been nudged just kind of like on the bed or having their bed covers pulled off. But overall, she seems like a friendly spirit, just, you know, like 
kind of wanting to make her presence known. Mm-hmm. Some other entries just say that she flicked on the bathroom light several times and made a lot of clicking noises. Another couple said that they noticed that the deadbolt and the chain on the door were off and they put them both on just before going to bed. Then another one said as soon as they came into the room, they got that dizzy feeling, uneasy, like they were just unwanted there. But her husband went down and picked Anna a flower and like it was all different. Really? Yeah. And so it's like, okay, we good. And then kind of going back to the whole jewelry thing. This one said, wife's gold earrings left on the mantle before dinner, came back an hour later, one was gone. After searching for a while, found it inside the fireplace, laying in the ashes. Hmm. There was one female employee, and she had like a six-inch scratch on her arm after being in that room, like, you know, cleaning it, all the things, which she attributed to Anna not liking her. But... Anywho, so people were having, like women, were having such frequent issues in this room that you now have to sign a waiver acknowledging that you're ineligible for a refund if you leave early. Wow. Yeah. I wonder why she has such an issue with women. Well, if she is, like, maybe she's jealous, like, if they're with... Maybe it's only women who are with a man. Well, so supposedly also she has one side that she is, I don't know. It's like her side of the bed. It's not the original bed, but it's still like, no, 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 that's my side. And if women pick that side, they get targeted more. Yeah. And they've been shoved out of the bed, like I said. And one guest hit her head on the nightstand when she was shoved off the bed. Mm. You know what I'm going to say? Don't fuck with my sleep. (laughs) Oh, true. No, I had no idea what you were going to say on that. Like, I was like. Now, on the flip side, male guests, they say that they have been laying in bed and something soft caressed their cheek. I'm like, of course. I mean. And you can't play with my hair? Come on. (laughs) Damn. Another thing Anna loves to do is uh, play dress up in your shit. So several female guests, they say that they have returned to the room to find their suitcase open and their nightgowns or their undergarments like panties and bra laid out on the bed like someone like, okay, I'm going to wear that when I get out of the shower. Yeah. And they didn't do that. In 2009, Miley Cyrus stayed there in that room with her mom. She was working on the last song, that Mm -hmm. movie. And she tweeted about it that Anna had left a handprint on her boot while they were out. And, like, had a little picture of, it looked like finger kind of things on it. So, yeah, who knows? On a website called ghostinghouls.com, Christy shares her love of all things paranormal, and her and her hubby stayed in room 204. They didn't get a visit from Anna, but they did have some experiences, so I'm going to tell you about those. She said that while they were just kind of doing, you know, their, like, nightly, like, reading, not going to bed, but 
settling down, the door latch began to like move back and forth gently. Hmm. Christy also said that she felt the bed shaking a few times. Nothing like bone rattling dramatic, but enough to make your skin crawl and your body on edge. And there were a few photos that she took around the inn, and there was this weird black shadowy blob in it. It wasn't a dark shadow, but it was a completely sunny day, and it would be a perfect picture before and after the one with the shadow in it. Well, and then she had something kind of be misplaced, too. When they were packing up to leave, she had put her camera bag on the bed, left, went down for breakfast, because, you know, that's the best part of staying in a hotel. I mean, do they have a waffle iron? Do they have a pancake maker? Do they have chocolate milk? Mm, God. Well, after breakfast, they came back up, got all of their stuff, and before they left, they did the casual, like, Make sure we didn't leave anything behind. Okay. Like wall chargers, all the things. We got it. Let's go. Yeah. So they moved everything down to the car. They're settling in. And she was doing something with her camera bag. And she's like, wait, 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 wait. This is super light. And so she went back in because the camera was not in the bag. So she went back in, got a key from the desk, and they went back up to the room to take a look around because uh, she left it there with the camera in it this morning. Yeah. You know, and immediately it was sitting in the middle of the chair by the window, like plain sight. And the maid hadn't even been in the room yet. Like it wasn't cleaned or anything. So it wasn't like, oh, I found this randomly. Let me just sit in, you know, like yeah, whatever. Yeah, let me put it right here until I can go put it in Lost and Found or whatever. Yeah. So it's like Anna was... Like, returning it again, you know, like in that misplaced kind of way where it's like, oh, well, here it is. Mm-hmm. I didn't take it. Mm-hmm. Anna must not know how expensive cameras are, but uh, if it was a DSLR, those shits are expensive. In an article written by Jennifer Minster on SavannahNow.com, she interviewed a worker at the end named Chelsea Elliott. And Chelsea was a skeptic before starting her job there, but she soon, like, kind of started feeling things and became a believer. She said she was waiting tables one night, and two of her guests asked to go see 204. And so the innkeeper was like, yeah, let's, you know, like, let's go see it. Well, Chelsea went up there, too, because she had never been up there either. And she said that she just got overwhelmed with sadness and she said it was all very still and heavy and like just she was just instantly depressed and she was like I've never felt anything like that and like when she left it was over hmm I wonder why so depressed like I mean obviously in a spirit like loved a boy he left and so she either died by suicide or potentially her husband-to-be that she was promised to pushed her. Like, it's like, obviously. But I don't know. Like, it's just like, why does she target the women? Why does she... You know what I mean? Yeah. Another experience came from a lady named Lynn H. and her two daughters and their friends. They were traveling from Florida to New York, and they stopped in Savannah in hopes of seeing a ghost. And, well, they kind of got what they were hoping for. As soon as they got there, they felt that uneasiness and felt like they were being watched. 
And that was just in the lobby. And the only room that was available was, you guessed it, Anna's room. The thing they noticed at first was a teddy bear on the fireplace mantle. Between its legs was a purple ball and like kind of just wrapped all around it is some Mardi Gras beads. Well, Lynn noticed it because she was obsessed with ghosts and in particular Ghost Hunters, the show, Mm -hmm. and they had used this particular bear as a trigger object when they had investigated the room a few years earlier. They left it, obviously, without the camera that they put inside of the trigger objects. Anyway, so Lynn goes to use the bathroom because, you know, she's a mom and her bladder's not what it used to be. No shame, though, because Carrie would be doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't even have kids. I mean, she'd probably be doing it in the lobby. She'd be like, I can't, I can't make it. Then we get up to the room, and she'd, she'd laugh or something, have to go do it again. I'd probably be running up to the room. <laughs> well, the daughters would be me in this scenario, and they start Snapchatting around the room to the friends. So they start calling out to Anna and stuff. Well, all of a sudden, Lynn heard something, and they all screamed. So she came out of the bathroom, and the ball was no longer on the mantle. It was in the center of the room and just still. So Lynn moved it back to the bear and then tried to simulate it to see like what would cause it, how to how could it happen, and she couldn't recreate it. So like must be Anna. Then later on, right before dinner, one of the daughter's friends, she was sitting on the bed and she flicked the lamplight on and then off, which God don't do that. But when she stepped away, the light flickered all on its own. So Lynn was like, maybe the bulb's loose. You know, that's yeah. probably it. Well, they all, you know, they were like, yeah, whatever. Let's go to dinner. Because, I mean. Priorities. Yes. When they got back from dinner, they rechecked the light, but it wouldn't come on this time. And, like, Lynn, you know, screwed the bulb in. Wouldn't come on. It had been unplugged. What? Yeah. And that wasn't it. During the night, the girls could hear scratching at the end of the bed on the bedpost and some strange clicking noises, which had been in those journals before, remember? Mm-hmm. It was like she flick she flicked on the bathroom light and made a lot of clicking noises. The windows rattled and the doorknobs kept shaking. Another thing about Anne, and you know what? There's actually one male that Anna did not like, and it was a waiter. He was young, and he was to collect the B&B meal cards from the doorknobs from all of the rooms. Well, one day, he was collecting the cards, and he just felt like a strange coldness and just, again, that uncomfortable feeling of being watched. And by the time he reached the third floor, he said that he he just got that weird sensation and he felt like he was being picked up off the floor and he like he was just like, this is fucking weird. Yeah. Like, I got to go. So he was just like, boy, bye. And went down the stairs. Like, catch y'all later. Yeah. I wonder which guy in her life he looked like. Ooh. Well, lo and behold, Travel Channel came. And they wanted to interview him in the room. 
well, he could not enter. There was like an invisible barrier that was physically stopping him from entering. Hmm. Last story is about two women, and they were staying in room 204, and they found their undergarments were missing. And um, where do you think they found them? Hmm. I'll tell you. Draped on some of the branches of the inn's Christmas tree in the tavern. What? I was going to say in the pool room. If my undergarments were on a Christmas tree... They'd be like, why, why are you covering the tree, is it? No, I was thinking like a thong. It, that's the thickest tinsel I've ever seen. <laughs> that's funny. I don't know. I Oh, my God. How do you even find that? Like, I, I don't know. Like, I'd be like, oh, well, I don't know where they are. And then what? You like go down for a nightcap and then boom, there they are. Yeah. They're probably like, what the fuck is on that tree? What do you do? Like, I'm just going to look at the balls on this tree and uh, and I oop it into and, uh, my yeah. thing. They'd say the bellhop would be like, um, um, ma'am, your uh, your uh, your bloomers are on the <laughs> tree. And I don't know why, but I just picture white undergarments, like mm-hmm. not anything else, but like white brow, white panties. Why? No, like I picture straight like. Petticoat Junction, like the shit that people wear under those big clothes, those big dresses, like the underwear that's like shorts. Yeah. That's what I'm picturing. So there's another spirit, and this one is a little more sinister. It's located in the kitchen, which is in the basement restaurant. It's thought to be an African-American cook who served the family who lived in the house at one time. I don't have any proof of this, but some believe that she was a practitioner of voodoo. I'm just throwing that out there because a lot of people kept saying, like, a voodoo practitioner, you know. So I'm just putting it out there. I'm not saying that makes her evil or sinister. I'm just saying that she was spiritually inclined. Okay. She also strongly dislikes women to be in her kitchen. She has pushed, slapped, and flicked them. And they say you can hear her, like, jingling her bracelets at them, like she's wagging her fingers, scolding them. Mm-hmm. She's also thrown spice jars at them, too. She's also said to be a trickster and basically a shit stirrer. Like many restaurants, the bartenders will eat free, you know, whatevs. Well, one bartender had wrote up an order for crab cakes, put it on the order board. During her dinner break, she found her written order by a plate of crab cakes. Well, it turned out to be an order for a waiting customer, and no one had seen this bartender's order. But, like, she went and picked up her order, and it was her written order by the crab cakes. Well, that's some fucking trickery. Don't be messing with my food. Right? Especially crab cakes. Mmm. Ugh. Just give me everything but the crab in it, because I love all the carbs. Mm -mm. She also loves to scare and piss them off, but she loves to scare the waitresses by pushing off silverware from the table settings. Don't create more work for these poor people who are waiters. I know. She will rattle pots and pans and, you know, just kind of... 
hey, I'm here. And there's been times that the pots have lifted off of their hooks in the kitchen and fell to the floor without anyone touching them and the hooks still being intact on the rack. But even bullies have their sad, dark moments because one time a maintenance man was doing some work when he heard a woman sobbing in the kitchen. So he was like, I mean, should I go see? Yeah, I feel like I... Yeah. I feel like I should check, but... Yeah. uh, All right. Yeah. And so he went in, but found no one there. Wow. Yeah. Well... Okay, so nicer ghost time. There's another spirit, and it's thought to be of a merchant marine. And he he just wants to relax, enjoy music. And so he's seen dressed in his uniform and usually strolling through the garden room or listening to the piano player. And he also sounds like the perfect gentleman because, hello, uniform. And also, he understands that shorties out there need fucking help because he helped a staff member who was closing the restaurant by turning off a light, which she couldn't reach without getting a chair. I mean, and they say chivalry's dead. I mean, well, in this case, it it is. Well, (laughs) he's dead, not his passion for helping women. (laughs) All that they really kind of have, like, got on him is that he was once boarded here, you know. And, I mean, he might have died suddenly on a ship. Or he could have died in, like, one of those outbreaks. Who knows? But they said, you know, he might not know he's dead because he's just going on about his business. Like, he's, you know, listening to the piano player. He's strolling through, helping out. A girl, you know, like, whatever. Well, another entity is a boy, and his name is Thaddeus. And he's been spotted in the tavern and in the restaurant. And sometimes in the kitchen. I mean, a boy's got to eat. I mean, come on. He's super friendly, and instead of having, like, that coldness that most ghosts have, he gives off a warm presence. But also, he leaves shiny pennies laying on tables, the bar, and the front desk. And they say if it's quiet, sometimes you can hear laughter coming from the bar. Like he's sitting up on the stool, you know. Yeah. Whatever. So that is what I have about 1790 Restaurant Inn Inn. Well, all in all, though, none of those ghosts seem, like, mean. Right. You know, like, they're mischievous maybe not even mischievous they're annoying and they'll be messing with your shit but they're not like well putting your panties on display on a christmas tree well that's just like teenage prank type things i mean again it's annoying as fuck and it's not kind but it's not like yeah they're not they're not the creep from waverly hills right yeah i definitely think we should go to savannah okay And we should try to stay in room 204. Okay. Also, I wonder if the guy that you said may not know he's dead. It's probably just like the last place his spirit was happy. And so that's why it ended up back there or something, you know? Yeah. Or is it just this like residual haunting? But no, because he was like active and like helped someone. It wasn't like he was just doing these like patterns of behavior, you know? Yeah. So yeah, not a scary haunting. Oh, no. But uh, I'd definitely be down to go. Awesome. You sleep on her side, though. 
Wait, what? I can't be having somebody fuck with my sleep. <laughs> my story this week starts with the largest terrorist attack to ever have occurred on American soil, which we know are the attacks from September 11th, 2001. We're not going to go into like all the ins and outs of 9-11 because, uh, well, we'd still be here next year doing all the things. But the story that I'm going to do today is about kind of the repercussions of it. All right. 9-11 created fear in us that we've never had to deal with before because, again, these were some of the, the first attacks on American soil. And some took it to the extreme. Yeah. So picture it. We're in Dallas, Texas, September 15th, 2001. We're four days after the attacks on 9-11. And a guy by the name of Wukar Hassam was working in his store, grilling some hamburgers, when a man walked in and opened fire on him. Oh my gosh. Hassan later died from his wounds. Six days later, that same man walked into the store where Ray's Bouillon was working. Ray's had just picked up an extra shift to get some extra cash. When he's sitting in the store, when a guy walked in who had on a hat and sunglasses and a bandana, I mean, like, could you be more cliche? But he also had a gun. Ray's is thinking, you know, he's been robbed before. The guy's just here to rob me. So he tells him, don't shoot me, please. Take all the money. And as soon as he said that, the guy said, where are you from? And before Ray's could even get the words, excuse me, out, the guy pointed a double barrel gun at his face and shot him. Oh, my gosh. Ray's fell to the floor, but he wasn't dead. So he knew that if he didn't pretend to be dead, that the shooter was going to shoot him again. So he laid there in a pool of his own blood, waiting. The shooter finally left the store. Once he was gone, Ray's waited a minute before he went outside because he knew that he could still be there. And after he waited, he went to the barbershop next door and all the people in the barbershop ran. Oh, gosh. Because they see Ray's and he's... I mean, blood pouring out of him. The, yeah. You know, and, and they're thinking that the guy's still behind him. Right. But finally, he was able to call 911, and there was an ambulance in the area. Oh, gosh. Yay. Finally, something good. Right. So, Ray's is praying to God, reciting verses of the Quran. Like, he is just asking for help to just help him survive through this. And he does. Oh, great. Okay. That's <laughs> <laughs> you were so excited. You couldn't even get it no. out. Oh, God. Yay. It wasn't an easy road, though. I'm going to jump forward a little bit. But Ray's had been shot in the, in the face. It had destroyed his eye. Oh. Thankfully, specialists were able to save the eye, but he lost vision in it. He was only in the hospital for one day because he didn't have health insurance. Oh, so he was discharged. Gosh. He had to like basically couch surf through his friends. Holy shit! I think he had somewhere like twelve surgeries total. 
because he didn't have insurance, he would have to get eye drops and pain medicine and stuff from the doctors from their samples. Oh, my gosh. So, legit a warrior, like, scraping by, Mm -hmm. doing what he had to do. Oh, absolutely. Then, a few days later, October 4th, 2001, the same man again goes to this gas station in Mesquite, Texas. And it's a gas station that was owned and ran by Vasudev Patel. The gunman walks in. He has a forty-four caliber pistol. And he tells Vasudev, give him all the money in the register. Well... Vasudev starts to reach for his, because he keeps a twenty-two caliber pistol under the register, because again, it's a gas station, they get robbed a lot, all things, and so he goes to reach it, but before he can grab it, the shooter shoots him. Then the shooter basically like climbs over him to get the money out of the cash register, can't do it, yells at Vasudev to help him get all the money, but there's no way that he can help him, because he's literally laying there dying oh my gosh the shooter tries the cash register a little more and then gives up and leaves and hell no if i'm dying and i know like there ain't no way Mm-mm. damn sure i'm not gonna help you uh-uh. so obviously police are putting together that these are hate crimes mm-hmm. it's all on people that the shooter believes are middle eastern descent muslim and it's a hate crime revenge for the attacks on 9-11. Wow. Well, you want to know the kicker? Vasudev is Hindu and is from India. Wow. He's not even Muslim. But you know what? It doesn't fucking matter. No, it doesn't. But also, that doesn't make a hill of beans to the shooter because he probably doesn't even know the difference. Absolutely. Well, so this guy that owns a shop near Vasudev's store knows Vasudev, is going to work and sees all these police cars and all this, you know, news and all that around the gas station. So he pulls up and he's like, what the, hey, what's going on? You know, they tell him that Vasudev has been shot. And so he calls police and he's like, look, this is a hate crime. And I think I might know who did it. Because he was like, I had a guy that worked at my shop that talked about like wanting to hurt people who are Muslim, but I didn't take him seriously. But uh, if you've got the security footage from the thing, like hit me up and I'll let you know if that's him. Wow. So the police bring him in for questioning and, you know, they get all of his information, get a statement, all the things. And then they let him watch the surveillance video. And he's like, yep, that's him. Mark Stroman. So now police have all they need to go pick up Mark Stroman. Well, Mark is a piece of shit. Obviously. Can I say that? that? Oh, well, I did. (laughs) So he's a fucking white supremacist. Oh, my gosh. Mm -hmm. He is uh, of the Aryan Brotherhood, and he felt like it was his patriotic duty to kill all Muslims. Oh, my goodness. Mark had a pretty shitty childhood, you know, as do most serial killers. But he was... Already involved in robbery and selling drugs and all of that by the time he was nine years old. Nine? Yes. In and out of juvie, just, you know, had a lot of trouble with the law and was actually out on bond at the time of these shootings. Wow. Yeah. 
Mark Stroman ends up confessing, but it still goes to trial. And of course, he's found guilty. There's literally video footage of him. And he is sentenced to death. He had a couple of character witnesses. One was his ex-wife. And I just, I don't know, it was heartbreaking because they had their first child when she was 14 and he was 15. Wow. And I think that they had three kids by the time they were 20. Like, I don't know, that just struck me as part of her testimony. Like, they were so young. Yeah. While Mark Stroman was in prison, he told his cellmate, his celly, if you will, that if he hadn't been caught after Vasudev's murder, he was actually going to go to a shopping mall and open fire, basically. Kill oh anyone that he thought was Middle Eastern. Wow. Like I said, he, he felt like it was his patriarch duty. Uh, no. He said that the country, quote, hadn't done its job, so he was going to do it for us. Oh, my goodness. Mm-hmm. Give me a break, Mark. Okay, so I want to not back up, but back up and talk a little bit about Ray's. He is an unbelievable soul. He's the one who survived. Right. Ray's actually got to New York in 1999. He won the State Department's annual, like, visa lottery. You know how they'll do that? Like, yeah. it's like, you get a visa, and you get a visa. Yeah. Well, he actually won that, and that's how he got to come over to the States. Reyes is actually from Bangladesh, and when he lived there, he was, like, I don't know, something really smart, some sort of, like, engineer, you know, beyond my brain power. Yeah. And he was an officer in the Bangladesh Air Force. He is a total badass. Right. But his dream was to come to the States and get a career in technology. He was engaged in Bangladesh. And his goal was, again, to come to the States, make some money, and then go get her. So when he first got to New York, it was a bit of a culture shock because everything is so expensive. Yes. He had a friend who lived in Dallas, Texas, that was like, look, come work at my convenience store. And, you know, this is how much money you'll make. And he was like, wait, I can pay my rent and school, you know, and do all the things. Okay, I'm moving. And so that's how he ended up in Dallas, because he wanted to continue going to school, make his living, save some money to be able to go get his fiance. Wow. And that's exactly what he was doing on the day that Mark Stroman came in and shot him. He had 38 pellets in his face from that shooting. Wow. And that day changed his life for forever. Yeah. He was so fearful to even go outside. You know, again, he was having all these surgeries. He was thankful that he got to keep his eye, but he lost his vision. I think now he has some of his vision back, but not much. By the time he was finally well enough to go back to Bangladesh, his fiance had already been promised to marry someone else. Oh, no. Yeah. So he lost his job. He lost his fiance. He lost his al- eye. Almost lost a fucking eye. Yeah. All of this because this fucking douchebag of a white supremacist who is just as fucking extreme as the people who did the attacks on 9 11. Mm hmm. You know, and it's like, what makes me so angry about this story is that 
the people that were killed were upstanding people in their community. They were participating. They owned businesses. They paid taxes. They were living the fucking American dream. They were doing everything they could to take care of themselves, their family here, their family back at home. Yeah. All the things. And this douchebag who has been a drain on society because he has literally been in and out of prison since he was a teenager, wow. kills them because he thinks they're Muslim. Mm-mm-mm. That's so sad. And that is my issue with extremists. Mm-hmm. Because obviously they're extremists. There's no fucking reasoning with them. But it's like, People focus so much on certain religions, extremists, and it's like every fucking religion has it. Yes. Every single one. Christianity, Muslims, even different aspects of Christianity. Look at Pentecostals or the or Mormonism or mm-hmm. anything. There's there are always going to be people who take it too far. Yeah. And you cannot blame an entire people for what one percent does. And that's what this guy did, and he is a fucking piece of shit. Or should I say was, because 10 years later, he was executed for his crimes. Wow. But you know what makes this story so interesting is that Ray's is not only an amazing human because of all the things we've already heard. He actually came to Mark Stroman's defense to keep him from being executed. Wow. Holy shit. Mark apparently saw the kind of era of his ways while he was in prison and became remorseful and realized that the hate that he had inside and, again, just became remorseful. Yeah. And Ray's following his Islamic faith And being forgiving and loving actually forgave Mark. And not just forgave him, you know, tried to save his life. It's, don't quote me on this, but it's a quote. (laughs) (laughs) But there's like a passage in the Quran that says something about, I'm ad-libbing in a terrible way, but like basically if you save one man's life, you save many. Mm -hmm. And so he was following that principle of trying to save Mark's life. Mark and Ray's actually, like, spoke a couple of times. And, I mean, he just, like, championed his stay of execution all the way to the Supreme Court. But eventually, it was all struck down, and he was executed 10 years after the murders. Can't say I'm sorry to hear that, you know? I know. There is a documentary that came out in 2016, And it's called An Eye for an Eye, A Story of Revenge, Change, and Forgiveness. I haven't watched that one yet, but it's got pretty good reviews. I don't know. I think that this story is just so important because it really does show that there's extremists in everything and that no extremist is right. Mm -hmm. And it just breaks my heart that... People who, again, were upstanding members in their community and doing everything that they could to better themselves and the community and everyone, and they were attacked just for being who they are. It's not fucking fair. No. 
but unfortunately happens every day. Not to that extent, though. Yes, to that extent. I was going to say, but actually, yeah. Sad, but true. Wow. I don't think I could be as strong as Ray's and forgive him. Oh, I couldn't. I, I like. I know that you can't live with the hate because then you're no better than him with mm-hmm. the hate. But I don't think I could forgive him. I don't know. Like when you see on shows and you see like the parents of a murdered teen or something being like, "I forgive you." At the sentencing hearing, mm-hmm. I'm like, "No fucking way." Mm mm. No fucking way. Well, and I am petty as fuck. Oh, Petty is your middle fucking name. Uh-huh. So... Donna will go below the belt in a second. Yeah, well, any takers? Look, I just set you right the fuck up for that one. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, whew, that was a heavy one. I know. It, it was short, but it was... I, I mean, don't think I could take a long one. Well, I know. I can, just so y'all know. But... You mean a story? Yeah. Mm-hmm but gosh that i feel so bad for them well and i think too with this story it brings up everything you know like it makes you think back to that time and what you were doing and you know Mm -hmm. well mine was way happier than yours and yours dealt with ghosts Mm -hmm. and death too i know we should have ended with yours right oh lord but what we can learn from this is love is love. And ultimately, Mark Stroman learned what we've all fucking known this whole time is that ultimately we're all just humans. Yes. And when he finally realized that, because Ray's showed him the compassion, he finally saw that it doesn't matter where you're from, what your religion is, anything. We're all humans, and that's all that matters. Yeah. I think it's especially important to remember that right now, too, because we're all, I don't know, like, it's like we're all kind of at that boiling point where it's like, we're tired of being home, we're tired of being, wearing masks, we're tired of all the things, and so it's so easy to be aggressive. Yeah. But just remember that everybody's going through the same shit. Everybody's finances are tight. Everybody's tired of seeing their family. <laughs> Wait, are you you're looking at me? Is it because I come here every yes. day? Yes. Yes it is. No, no it's not. You came here every day before the quarantine. Yes, I did. And during and will after. Yes, I will. Look, you had salmonella and you couldn't get away from me. I know you're dying, Carrie, but uh get your ass in that chair. Oh, you can't get behind the desk. Great. We'll we'll change places. Podcast must go on. Have you finished your story? No, get on it. (laughs) And another thing to remember. Creep it real and and don't don't get scared. scared.